Wow, wow, wow. Thank you, Kiara. Thank you, Jace. I've had such an amazing ride this week. And I won't lie, I am tired. I am exhausted trying to juggle week of worship as well as a little baby when I come home that my wife just wants to throw into my lap because she's had him the whole entire day. But um, I just want to take this time to say thank you to Lates. Thank you to Shauna, Jace. Thank you to Kim and Pastor Phil for giving me the opportunity to speak, to be the mouthpiece of the Almighty, and to pour out life into young people. For me, I love what I do, and I consider it an absolute privilege. Last night, like V was alluding to, I even spoke with Leighton about it yesterday. I was like, man, I think I'm going to kind of regurgitate a mixture of a couple of sermons and bring them together. So that I would be able to bring something today. And as I was preparing, it didn't sit right. I was looking at the material and I was battling and I felt God was just saying, this is not it, this is not it, this is not it, this is not it. And I was like, God, please, I'm tired. I don't want to be writing a sermon. It's like 7 o'clock and I want to go to bed. I'm not going to be up all night tonight with the little one. I want to just want to regurgitate. Give me this opportunity. i got a couple of good stories that I told in the week. Let me do that. But God said, no, nah, that's not it. That's not it. And I opened up my Bible to the book of Luke chapter 7. And I found it. And I felt peace with it. So I said, all right, God, this is what you want. This is what we'll do. So I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads and we're just going to pray. And we're just going to ask once again that the Spirit just lead into this text. Father God, I just thank you. I am so thankful. Long ago you called me and I ran away from it initially, but Father, you were persistent and you saw something in me that I could not see in myself, Lord. And the fact that I'm here today being able to speak on your behalf is such a privilege. And for that, I give you praise. I give you glory. You are good. You are God. And Lord, at this time, we seek you in the word. We seek you in this opportunity to, to dive into, a, get a bigger picture of who you are. So Lord, we invite you to be present in this time. And I know you're already here. But we want to be intentional and ask you once again, Lord, speak. Your servants are listening. So guide us now, Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We looked at this week, bringing heaven to earth. And when I was looking through Luke chapter 7, I kind of came in this idea of bringing heaven to haven. How do we do this? Bringing heaven to haven. Continuing the theme of this week. And the, the title that I got from my talk is Moving Beyond. Moving Beyond. So let me read Luke chapter 7 and hope this makes sense. Says, what does it mean to move beyond? How do we bring heaven down to here on heaven? Um, haven. And I'm speaking to you online. I pray that God really touches you and God really speaks to you in this time. So Luke chapter 7, it reads this. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and was about to die. Verse 3. The centurion of Jesus heard the centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servants. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man, the centurion, this man deserves to have you do this. 
The servant is speaking on behalf of the centurion. This man deserves for you to have him do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with him. It's quite ironic to have this because so often the servant was mistreated by the Roman, was mistreated by their master. But to have a servant pleading on behalf of his master, behalf of the centurion, is not really quite heard of in scripture. But a centurion was different and we're going to look into this. To be a centurion was no ordinary Roman. You were the elite. You were the backbone of the Roman army. Plebeius, one of the scholars, goes and saying this. They must be not so much seekers after danger as men who command. Steady action and reliable. They ought not to be over anxious to rush into a fight. But when they are hard pressed, they must be ready to hold their ground and to die for their post. A centurion was the elite. And in order for you to be a centurion, it wasn't by fluke. It wasn't by chance. You were selected. It wasn't knowing the right people. It wasn't being in the right place at the right time. You had to meet a certain criteria. And only once that criteria was met, you were, in a sense, part of the centurion elite group. Throughout scripture, it's, it's funny enough that whenever a centurion is mentioned, the Bible actually mentions them in a positive light. We read in the Gospels when Jesus was crucified, the Bible says a centurion looked up to the cross and saw this rabbi. And it's through the mouth of a centurion says, surely this man... Surely this man was a righteous man. Whenever we mention a centurion, it's, it's mentioned in the good terms. But still, a centurion was a Roman. And a Roman was meant to, was taught a certain way, act a certain way. They were institutionalized to behave a certain way. They thought themselves as the elite. They thought themselves above the rest. They were the, in a sense, gods on earth. They were the order bringers. They were the commanders and chiefs of the people. And so often when we look at Romans, we don't normally clash Romans with Christians. They're very much separate. But funny enough, though Romans and Christianity don't really come together, Romans were very much in favor for religion. Romans were very much in favor and they liked religion. Augustus built a lot of synagogues around the place because the idea of religion was religion allowed them to keep tabs on people because religion made people act a certain way, behave a certain way, do things a certain way. And the Romans, they loved order. For those who, who know about the military, who know about the army, who know about the navy, when you're part of those elites, things always, you act a certain way. You are, you are drummed a certain way. And my wife always reminds me of this every single day. I forget to do the bed. She goes, you know my, my grandpa who was in the army, the first thing he does, when he, who he used to do when he used to 
get out of bed was he used to make the bed and he used to be sharp. He used to be straight. He used to be tidy. His shoes were in the corner of the room. His, his, um, his clothes were nicely folded. And every time I start to slip up in the house, my wife always first to remind me of the fact is, this might what my grandpa used to do. So I've seen a little glimpse of what it is to be in the, in the army. And this was very much a Roman. They were order. They were structured. They were drummed. This was drummed into them. And because of this, they loved religion. Because they were able to look at the religious people and the religious people acted a certain way. They behaved a certain way. It was easy to control. It was easy to keep tabs on. And they loved the religion because of that. So Augustus had synagogues built everywhere so they could control, they could keep tabs of those who were institutionalized in the religious area. Romans loved it. As a kid, I've shared with you, I think briefly, my wife always tells me I need to keep tabs on what I share with people because sometimes I double up. But my dad was very much a conservative person. Very, 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 very conservative person. And he made us, soon as Sabbath rolled in, we had to do the same thing over and over again. As soon as the sun went down, TV went off. As soon as the sun went down, we, the guitar went out. As soon as the sun went down, Sabbath started on a Friday evening. And what I used to love, when my dad, sometimes on a Friday evening, my dad would sometimes go to church practice. The choir, the Parramatta choir, they always did their things. And Friday night they had their church practice. And me and my brother used to love it because he used to go out. And that meant me and Eric could watch the Friday night football. So what we used to do is, because we, we could not get caught doing this. Because if we got caught doing this, dad would come down on us like a Roman. What we used to do is we would uh, put a DVD of VeggieTales on. And then we would watch the football. One would be on the couch and we'll take turns. The other would be next to the window, just waiting for dad to come home. And as soon as dad came on, we'd press sauce and put the VeggieTales on because you couldn't put the DVD as he came in because you had to let it play. If you put the DVD in, that was a newbie, newbie mistake. As he came in and dad came in and VeggieTales was just starting, he goes, I've been away for an hour and you're just starting VeggieTales? Dad knew these things. He just knew these things. One time he caught us where he told us, have you guys been watching TV? We're like, no. And he went to the back of the TV and put his hand in the back of the TV and it was hot. He's like, no, you've been watching TV. Dad was very smart that way. But as soon as Sabbath rolled in, this, it was like we had to do these things when Dad was around. As soon as church, we walked into church, the first thing me and my brother did was we ran to the front of the church and we grabbed the bulletin. People were like, oh, I've had some good 7 a.m. as kids. But we grabbed the bulletin because in the bulletin, they had a section where it would tell you when the sun would set and when Sabbath would finish. So me and Eric would grab the bullet to find out when does Sabbath finish? Because we want to watch TV. And as soon as we, the, the, the time would hit, we would go and race to the TV. And that's what would get Dad really, really mad. That's the first thing we'd do when Sabbath finished. So he'd call us in and say, no, we've got to worship. We've got to pray. And then once we finished praying, we'd rush to the TV. And Dad would be like, no, 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 stop. The prayers are still going up. <laughs> you need to wait. And you make us wait an extra five minutes before we could turn on the TV. But that was my life as a kid. It was drummed into us. We were very conservative growing up. And to a certain degree, I've come to appreciate certain aspects of religion because being a reckless, wild, misbehaved child, me and my, my brother were, 
religion gave us boundaries that if it wasn't for that, we'd probably be really crazy more so. It gave us some sort of order, some sort of something we could look at and knew how to behave. But at the same time, there are times when religion can become a detriment to the Christian faith. Because religion, I look at it as it is like an external conversion. Religion has the ability to make you appear like everything's going good. Because you act a certain way. You, you behave a certain way. And you may be inside, you may be spiritually dead. But because you do what religion tells of you, people will look at you like, man, that guy's got it straight. That lady's got it perfect. But really, your spiritual life, your walk with God could be so far from the truth. But if we do what, what we are told to do or behave the way we are, are, are being taught, we can fake it. Religion also has the ability of seeing things black and white. Religion has a way of ability of seeing things black and white. But what I've found in life is so many times in life, there are so many great elements to it. From college days, I always was taught to in whenever a situation arises in church, you need to go to the church manual. Go to the church manual and I thank the church manual and I've, so many times it saved me in so many times. But in my time in ministry, in 10 years of ministry, I've come to realize that there are times when I'm dealing with a certain situation that it's not always black and white. It's not, oh, this is happening, refer to the manual, refer to the guideline, and they tell me what I need to do. But sometimes when I look into the situation, I find out there is more gray in here than there is black and white. So how do I deal with this? Let me explain further. In the book of Luke, chapter 8, Jesus is walking through a town, the Bible says. And as he's going through the town, he stops and he addresses the crowd and he says this, who has touched me? Everyone kind of looks at him and is like, Master, Rabbi, what do you mean he has touched you? We're, there's a crowd around us. There's people gathered all around us. Everyone is touching you. But obviously, Jesus knows someone has touched me and power has left me. I'm addressing what has happened here. Scripture informs us that there's a lady in the town who has been bleeding for 12 years. And she's been struggling for 12 years and she doesn't know what to do with it. What I love about the Gospels is the Gospels tell her that she's been going to doctors, she's been going to physicians, she's been going to all these places, but she doesn't know what to do because every time she, she goes and seeks help, she's faced with a, a, a door that is slammed because no one knows how to address it, no one knows how to deal with it. In Levitical law, because she was bleeding, they were taught that she was unclean. They were taught that she needed to stay away from everybody due to her bleeding. In fact, everything she touched, that became unclean. Everything she leaned against, that became, became unclean. So the reason why she uses the crowd at this moment is because she's trying to go unnoticed. She knows in her heart and her mind, she is not meant to be there. Because the moment she touches people, they are now unclean and how to separate themselves for the entire day. She knows that if she touches Jesus, she's doing a big no-no according to Levitical law because she's now making him unclean. 
But for 12 years, she is desperate. For 12 years, she's in pain. For 12 years, she's tried everything. And now she's exhausted all her options. And she says, I'm going to this man. And I'm going to touch him. And he's going to make me good. I'm so desperate. I'm going against everything I've been taught. In going to the crowd. Going to in public. Even though I'm meant to be away from everybody. And the Bible says when she touches Jesus. He acknowledges that. And the moment he acknowledges that, he stops. And this is when she becomes afraid. The moment Jesus says, who touched me? She does not respond. Because she knows she shouldn't be there. And she hesitates and backs down. And she's like, no, 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 please, please, please. And Jesus says, no, someone's touched me. And all the the people are like, no, of course people have touched you, Lord. People have touched you. Everyone's here. And she's like, maybe I can get away with this. Maybe, yeah, everyone's touching it. Please don't notice me. Don't notice me. But when Jesus says, no, someone touched me and power has left me, she knew she could not get away with it anymore. So the Bible says she, she stoops her head down. She bows down, head into the dirt. And she says, Lord, Rabbi, teacher, it is I. I have touched you. She expects that Jesus at this stage is going to throw the book at her. And in, according to Levitical law, he has every right to do so. In fact, probably everyone is expecting him to do so. She is unclean. She should not be there. She should not have touched you. She knows what she needs to do. This is according to our our passages. This is according to the Old Testament. This is according to the way we do life. She knows it. But the Bible says Jesus stops. He knows the passages. He knows the Levitical law. But it's beautiful how Luke draws this passage out. Because at this moment when Jesus acknowledges her, the way Luke writes his passage, it's as if Jesus eliminates the whole crowd. And he looks at her. And in her fear, in her doubt, in her expectation of the book being thrown at her, Jesus looks at her and calls her his daughter. He goes, my daughter... Go in peace. He sees her for for the situation that has has trapped her. He sees her for who she was. He sees the individual. And the Bible says he is moved towards compassion. Throughout scripture we read this. How Jesus moves towards compassion when people don't expect compassion. When the crowd followed him, when he was trying to escape the crowd and, and he was tired and he saw the crowd was following him, the Bible says he was moved towards compassion towards him. He could have been angry because he was trying to find rest. He was trying to find refuge. He was trying to find some moment of peace. But when the crowd followed him, instead of being angry, I would have been angry. You follow into my house when I'm just trying to get my hair down? I'm going to be mad. God, give me some peace. But the Bible says he's moved towards compassion. And in this moment, he sees this woman and he can get angry because he is... She has made him unclean, but he's moved towards compassion towards her because he sees her and he loves her. And then he calls her his own. Black and white, Levitical law told him he should have acted a certain way. But he sees her and he sees the gray in it. And he loves her and calls her to him. There are times when religion 
doesn't really cut it. And we need to move beyond what we are taught, beyond what, 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 what's, what we see into the situation. And we need to stop and we need to listen. We need to hear and we need to see that we are dealing with people. We need to see that we are dealing with pain and we're dealing with hurts. And instead of throwing the book, instead of getting angry, instead of saying this is what we need to do and this is how we need to act, we need to stop and listen and say these people are hurting. What can we do? How can we help? How can we be there? As a church, it is time that we move beyond where we are right now. And I'm addressing all matters. For such a long time, I've been, we, we've been doing the NCD. And for such a long time, I've been seeing how love, love, loving relationship has been last or second last. And I'm thinking to myself, it is time for us as a church that we start addressing the situation. For a long time as a 7 a Adventist, we got it all here in our minds. We know how to do a Bible study. We know how to run a program. We know how to do these things. We know religion. We know the laws. And we know how to abide by them. But where we lack is compassion and love for people. And here we have the rabbi addressing it and saying, stop looking at her and, and throwing the booking at her. We need to start looking at her and listening to her and understanding there is someone here who is in pain and see them for who they are and understand their situation. And it is time for us, the church, to ask God to give us a heart like his own that we are moved towards compassion for his people. It is time that we move beyond and we become a, a, a community that loves and loves and loves. From a young, from a young age, I was always taught Seventh-day Adventists were people of the word, were people of the book. We could, we could quote scripture. But for me, it's like, what is the point of quoting scripture when we can't live life like to, to the words the Bible has called us to live? There's no point of quoting. There's no point of, um, for, of um, memorizing if we don't live what the Bible has called us to live. It is time that we move beyond this. And what I'm so proud of our church here at Haven, what I'm so proud of it is in our vision that we plan, we strive, and we endeavor to be the church that unchurch people love. And for me, we've got it in our heads We've got it in our vision, and it's time that we continue to, to practice it, that it becomes in our hearts. That whenever people step into this place, they, they, it's not about religion, it's not about law, but it's about love. First John says this, for they will know that you are my disciples if you love. It is time that we see people the way the Messiah saw them. It is time we stop. It's time that we listen. And it's time we, we are moved by compassion towards them. Things are not always black and white. There is such a huge degree of gray within that. And I want to finish on this story right now. I was told a, a tale by another pastor where a gentleman was catching a train a gentleman was catching a train and he, he boarded on, on the quiet carriage. He went on the quiet carriage and with him he took his two younger sons. While they were on the train, everyone was doing the quiet carriage law where you need to, when you're on that carriage, you need to be quiet, you need to be still, you need to be just minding your own business and essentially just doing, just not making sounds. 
This father completely disregarded this kind of unspoken law where the kids were just running up and down the carriage and were making so much noise. And the people in the carriage were starting to get upset by this. And they're like thinking to themselves, Don't they, doesn't this guy know that this is a quiet carriage? Doesn't he know that you're not meant to be uh, making noise? You're meant to be putting your iPod in, putting the music in, reading the newspaper and keeping to yourself and just having a peaceful ride. That's why they call it the quiet carriage. But the kids were running up and down, running up and down, and the father absolutely did nothing. Did absolutely nothing. Eventually, a gentleman mustered up the, the, the courage, or not so much the courage, but had a, so much anger built within him, he got up and went straight to the father and said, Sir, do you not know this is a quiet carriage? If you came on this on this carriage you need to abide by the law you need to abide by what it is and it is quiet carriage your kids are running amok do something about it the father picks his head up and apologizes addressing the angry gentleman he says sir i apologize and i'm sorry but understand this i've just received news that my wife has passed away in an accident and I have no idea how I'm going to collect my thoughts. So I've come on this quiet carriage to try to collect my thoughts. And I have no idea how I'm going to break it to my kids. We have no idea what is taking place in the background. We have no idea the pain, the, the, the hurts. But what we are called to do is be driven by compassion towards people. To stop and to listen and by listening just maybe we might be able to catch a glimpse of what it is to be in their shoe and instead of throwing the book at them maybe we may be driven to towards compassion with them and love them the way the bible has called us to love them it is time it is time it is time that we move beyond the good books and see the gray in life and love people the way the great rabbi loved them to be drawn to them the great rabbi was drawn to them and to love them and have compassion and be church let us pray father god i just thank you for this time i cannot emphasize it enough how proud i am of this church and so many other churches around us but Lord, we have an issue that we need to address and it is staring us blatantly in the face. It is in an NCIS, N N NCD, uh, whatever that's called, Lord. It's telling us that we are not loving enough. It is last or is second last and this is not something we need to be proud of. So Lord, I pray that you give us a heart of your own. That instead of throwing the books at people at times, that we are drawn towards compassion to them. That we love them and we stop and we listen to them just like you what you did with this woman so father god i pray i pray and i pray that we become your ambassadors we become people like you and i know lord if we do this we are going to shake up this place we're going to shake up the central coast 
How amazing would it be if when people are hurt, this is the first place they turn to because they know that we are people that just love them. It is safe here. So Lord, allow us to be that. Allow us to continue on this journey. Guide us now, Father God. Be with us. Your servants are listening. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.